Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Are you in fashion? fashion? Did you see what she's wearing for Tom's shoes? I'm Sonia Sly. My heels are killing me. Um, but I was told I have a backstage pass. You will need to get the right pass to get behind me, Pam. Look, I'm I need sorry. to go. Code red, code red, code. We have a situation. I'm taking you inside the fashion industry to discuss trends, the reality behind the glamour, and the highs and lows of a fast-paced industry that never stops. In a dark room. Three bodies lie in spotlights, face down on the floor. Are they breathing? Their heads are covered, so I can't see their faces. I come up close. I'm curious. I want to touch, prod, to see if I can spot a sign of life, to find out if the bodies twitch or adjust. But they don't. Then the lights begin to dim. <laughs> The bodies move slowly, first a hand, then a foot. It's like watching a leaf unfurl, awakening from the longest slumber. The bodies now move upright. They begin to dance in a kind of beautiful chaos. It's haunting, theatrical, bold, and mesmerizing. This is a runway at New Zealand Fashion Week, and Jason Lingard's collection Chaos is playing out before an audience. These are dancers rather than models, moving gracefully with almost martial arts or kabuki-style poses. I can feel their emotion pouring onto the runway, and what's more, the movement allows me to see draping sleeves and flowing silhouettes in full view. It's a ballsy, clever device for a show. Where designers otherwise send their models strutting up and down the catwalk, so I'm curious to meet the man who put these bodies on stage, where art, dance, and fashion collide. Now, the first challenge is finding him. There's construction taking place outside Jason's inner city apartment, but I make my way cautiously up a dark flight of stairs. I wasn't, you. I wasn't sure if I was on the right place. I know, it looks a bit dodgy, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was, I thought it was not... There are lots of different elements that inform Jason's work, as I'm about to discover. But Jason tells me about a few of his favourite things that I think say more or as much about him as they do about his approach to fashion. Um, I'm really sci-fi obsessed, and I love, like, dystopian and utopian science fiction. And I think that comes into my design. I was going to say straight well, away, yeah, totally. Bit. I'm also, like, reliving a lot of alternative music that I used to listen to when I was a teenager. Like, I got a new car and it only had a CD player, so I'm, like, buying, like, old Marilyn Manson records and Hole and, um, you know, garbage and things like that and Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana and, yeah, just listening well, to that 90s again. revival is back yeah, anyway. Yeah, so. it totally is, yeah. I don't know, and there's also a real earthy side to what I like as well, so a lot of, like traditional arts and crafts and, and pottery and weaving and, and things like that. And especially when I, when I travelled through Korea and, and Japan, and that was really inspiring me. Do you have anything in your wardrobe that is 10 years old or more? Yeah, 
I do. What? What? Tell me. I have T-shirts that are holy and falling apart and stained, but I love that. Like, it's got a story, and and I remember when I bought it. And um, and you still wear them? Yeah, I do. Oh, but I, I love a good, like, worn-out old T-shirt. To, to wear around the house. <laughs> and what's also cool is, um, you know, because some, sometimes I feel guilty about it. It's like, this is a $5 T-shirt I've got from Cotton On or something like that. Well, that wasn't around 10 years ago, but it would have been from somewhere like that. And it's like, shit, it's fast fashion, and I bought it on a whim. But... I've kept it for 10 years, so I don't feel so guilty about Really? God. I mean, that's amazing that something that costs $5 would last more than five minutes. Well, I love that it's falling apart, so I think it's about celebrating that. What embarrassing items have you had in your wardrobe in the past? I was... Like, I've always been a black wearer, but then um, when neon stuff in the early 2000s hey, was look, like it's coming back. making a comeback, and yeah. it's coming back again, it's crazy. So yeah, I had some, some like, neon pink hat and, and things like that in my, in my little short colour phase. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I went back to wearing black again. Black has also been a staple in Jason Lingard's collections since he launched his label two years ago. And on the runway, his dark, drapey forms ignited my imagination putting dancers on the runway was a brave move. So I assume that Jason is well acquainted with the world of dance. Like, I had never been to a dance, uh, like, show before. What? I know, are you, you I are know. kidding me, I right? I always decided that I hated dance. What? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think I just had to do the right kind of dance. And then my boyfriend took me to an amazing dance show. It's called A Figure Exhales. And the soundtrack and the way it was presented was so beautiful. It was at Basement Theatre. And... Um, and I was like, wow, okay, this is not what I expected. I was expecting, you know, like people in, in leotards and then prancing around. I don't know what I expected. But it was slow and it was dark and it was atmospheric and, and the sound piece was amazing. So I tracked down that sound designer and said, hey, do you want to do a sound score for a fashion show? And she was up for it. And then we cast some dancers and, um, yeah, because I was like, why can't I show my clothes like this and why can't I show them moving on a form like this and it was just one of those light bulb moments that went on. For me it just triggered a lot of questions about well what is fashion, who are you as an artist, yeah what are you trying to say with this? I think it was a natural progression from my practice as a fashion designer to present it as a performance and present it as movement because it was interpretive as well. So firstly, my stuff is, is draped on the dress form and I, and I work quite intuitively. So the fact that the, that the dancers were working intuitively to the music was the same way that I worked. So was, are you saying it was kind of improvised or...? Yeah. So all of that was improvised except the finale when they all walked out together. So they were just feeling the music and the soundtrack and, and going with the flow, which is... That collection that was presented called Chaos um, was called Chaos for a reason is because I didn't do any drawing, I didn't do any planning. I just dived in and and draped onto the dress form and just went with the flow. And so I wanted the, the show to be quite like that as well. That's kind of crazy approach, do you think? Or I mean, is this just for you designing as an organic thing? Yeah, and it's taken me a little while. Like I'm probably about two, almost three years into my label and it's taken me a while to, to figure out how I work best and you come out of 
fashion school or you come out of working in the industry and you have these pattern blocks that you work to and then you do a sketch and you try and pattern make it and if it doesn't work out you pattern make it again and you sew up prototypes and it's all really formulaic. I found that I got my most creative um, kind of shapes and silhouettes um, when I was working more organically. My silhouettes are large and drapey and dance was a great way to kind of put them on the runway so people could see the drape when when arms went up and legs went up and there were so many different layers to what I sort of felt coming through in terms of like the sound and movement and how that works together to kind of like fuel my emotions as I was watching it yeah, and that's lots of the feedback I've been getting from people. Like, they're like, oh, shit, I wasn't prepared for that. That took me off guard or that surprised me. Like, you know, that's that's what I live for and that's what I design for. I don't want someone saying, oh, that dress was really pretty. It's or... just not, a, not really soul-satisfying. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not. I want to be feeling like I'm, you know, affecting people in, in, in some way. Also because it's my first show, I was like, I'll do something a little bit different as well. With Fashion Week gets a bit predictable and runway shows have gotten a bit predictable. I just remember watching Alexander McQueen runway shows when I was a teenager in the 90s and it's one of the reasons I got into fashion because I just admired him so much and he was so theatrical and these days it's become walk up and down the runway it's like watching a ping pong match and you know and they're all stick thin beautiful and they all look the same so you're just shaking it up a little bit. I mean and how important do you think those shows are in terms of what you kind of putting in front of an audience for that moment in time Mm -hmm. versus the commercial reality of how am I going to sell this? How much of that show ties in with that reality? Mm. I think it was great for me as an emerging designer to get my name out there because I filled up the space with lots of people because they were anticipating something different. So that was really good. And at first I was like, oh, the garments are going to be all wrinkled and squashed while they're being danced and they're going to like slip off and you know they're going to see the underwear and boobs and things like that. But I think it sells it because of the movement and people can see... It. So I think commercially it, it kind of worked for me as well. Fashion means different things to different people and knowing your audience is key for a designer. For Jason, being inclusive says as much about him as it does about his aesthetic. Now today, many designers are producing garments that in some ways make a statement about the time that we live in and Jason's work embodies ideas about inclusivity which means casting ethnically diverse models in his lookbooks and also producing gender-neutral garments with an approach to one-size-fits-all. That's also taken me a while to get to, but it's a really key aspect of, of my label. Not only kind of genderless, but also kind of like size-inclusive as well and also age-inclusive. So a 16-year-old girl who's stick thin could wear it, but, you know, a 60-year-old lady who's lived a life and, you know, she may be a different body shape, she can still wear it and feel confident and in do you it feel like well. that, that is the case with yeah. who buys your clothing? Definitely, because I travel around the country and, and personally sell to all 
my retailers and the feedback that I get is that they can't pin down who's going to buy it you know and and I really love that like one of my shops on Ponsonby Road they're like oh we had a guy come in and buy a dress the other day and then I'll be in another store and it's like oh you know a 60 year old grandma bought that 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 piece with the skull on it the other day and you want to be catering to all of those markets because I think on the outset fashion can feel like it does exclude yeah, and using dancers with different kinds of body shapes and seeing a dancer that's probably kind of more around like my height, not six foot tall, <laughs> would make me go, actually, I can wear that too. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of those pieces transformed as well. Like you can tie them in, you can let them loose. Some of them you can spin them around and wear them backwards and inside out and things like that. So I think just giving the wearer a bit more choice. I put all my dresses on a guy for my last photo shoot, you know, and I had a beautiful plus-size model. That kind of thing's important in an artistic way, but it also works for me commercially, for my brand. It's always happened naturally for me, especially, like, growing up as a gay male in the 90s in in a farming, you know, village. It's pretty rough. And I was a goth as well. Oh, (laughs) excellent. That's perfect. So, you know, people would yell at you on the street and I'd get punched at parties and things like that. So I think that's really informed my design and informed my label. And and maybe if I had had a really easy kind of upbringing, you know, maybe my label would be a lot more boring. <laughs> oh, or like awesome. brighter or neon. Or yeah, who knows, who knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, those things can't help but inform your mm. creative process. And then I think living overseas and living in Asia for a while, you know, I've always found that kind of beauty and that ethnicity and, you know, different body shapes and things like that. So what part of Asia did you live in? In Korea for a year, yeah. Do you think that informed any of your aesthetic? Yeah, totally. I mean, I already loved, like, Japanese art and fashion and so you know exploring a a culture that's really similar to it was really amazing as well so what were you doing before you launched your own label i was a graphic designer so i I studied fashion straight out of high school so that would have been like 99 or something and i just lost track and 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 switched to graphic design but what happened and what was happening in fashion at the time that well, maybe you were blocked. Yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like early 2000s things started to get a bit boring and and also I was really interested in graphic design more and I, and I was doing these printed t-shirts and I just naturally went down that road and then ended up stuck in an advertising agency and it was so depressing. Um, and they kept sending me on a few photo shoots and then I ended up styling and art directing photo shoots and I was like, oh shit, I actually should have stuck with fashion. I'm more passionate about it, so... Then I went back to it and studied, finished off my degree when I was 30. Every write-up I read, it's like, young designer, Jason Lingard. And I'm like, no, 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 emerging designer. (laughs) Now, something that strikes me about what's happening, I guess, in fashion at the moment is designers get to choose the way that they want to work. Like, There's no one way in, there's no one way of doing things. You can decide that you want to release a collection as slowly or as quickly as you want to. Do you see that as an advantage or a disadvantage? You've got to be in the fashion cycle, which is really difficult to keep up with. You've got to sell at certain times or the shops won't take it and you've got to fill your orders at certain times. So that's really difficult. And I'm adjusting things and I'm getting rid of my seasons and not calling things spring, summer, autumn, winter anymore. So and I think that's going to work for me really well and, and kind of presenting things as layering pieces and a, and a piece that you can wear through winter, through summer and a piece that you can wear for 10 or 20 years. So I think it's making the system 
work for you and and the things that are a bit more transseasonal is, is kind of where I want to head. When you're a small emerging label and you've got no cash, it's like you can't make offshore straight away or you can't employ the most amazing machinists or you can't use factories that have a minimum of 100 or 200 pieces or you know you can't import fabric because you have to get it in bulk. So you've got to get on the ground with the local makers and, and the smaller fabric suppliers. And so I make sure I know like all my machinists or the people that own the factories. And I really love that. Like I use three different factories and then one machinist. My main machinist, she's this amazing Vietnamese woman and she'll like invite me into her home and, and make me a cup of tea and her kids will be playing around and then she'll show me samples that she's made and things like that. And yeah, that's that's such an important part of the process. And actually that's quite lovely, isn't it? Because it's like, well, that's the real fashion industry involves real everyday people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the 90s, all the factories started closing, so all these women didn't have jobs, so they started working from home, and we call them outworkers. So we just go into their homes, and they've got a little setup in their spare room, or she has a network of other sewers that she will send them to as well. And yeah, you either work that way with outworkers, or else I have a factory out south as well. It's run by this this lovely lady called Dawn, and she just has been in the industry for 40 years, and she knows everything. And if she's like, Jason, this isn't going to work. Oh, your patterns are bad today. Like, you know, change this. And you wouldn't get that if you're dealing with China. And it's good because I studied so late. I've got the creativity, and then, you know, they help me out with some of those technical things. Because you're doing everything at the moment yourself, are there any parts of what you're doing that you don't like? Ooh, what I don't like. I hate numbers, so I hate all the accounting and the business side of it, but um, I've been really enjoying learning it. Anything where I have to be logical or organised? Right, which is pretty much all of it in order to get the design (laughs) Pretty much. It's Jason's core values that drive the Jason Lingard brand. But as I've discovered through this podcast series, there are some designers who come to the industry because they want to create garments or products that they want to wear themselves. But for Jason, that's simply not the case. Is it about something within you that you're expressing outwardly? What is it? I don't know. I don't think I dress too much like my my brand. So you wouldn't wear a dress? Um, I probably wouldn't because I'm not bold enough for it. I think a lot of designers are often designing for an alter ego for me it's it's an art form and I think when you stop trying to dress yourself that's when you do more creative work or else it just comes out too commercial because you're trying to create you know clothes for yourself you know which begs the question what what is your alter ego I don't know (laughs) I guess that person that's like not afraid to wear something crazy that's not afraid to wear something that crosses over genders you know it's that ideal person that doesn't give a f- about society and and I really hate all those societal norms so if clothing can break that down mm. and make a statement then I yeah. think that's pretty cool what's one of the myths about fashion oh god I reckon you know that everyone's a wanker and everyone's pretentious um, there is a bit of that though right there yeah. is totally a lot of that um kind of one of the reasons I left fashion in the first place it was kind of depressed me and you know it wasn't I didn't feel like I fit but 
It's so not true, and you just got to find your groove and your place. And when I first moved back to Auckland um, after being overseas, like I had a studio on K Road, and I met other interesting designers like Jimmy D and Layla Jacobs and Micah as well. And all three of them were super supportive and were just open with giving advice and helping me out. And and then you hear horror stories of of other people being competitive and backstabbing, and it just wasn't like that at all. And I think there's a awesome community of those fashion designers that are treating fashion a bit more like art and they're all kind of darker designers I feel like Jason is a game changer in the industry or at least representative of what's happening today there's a depth to him he's grounded and not afraid to push the boundaries or make a statement and do things his own way so I want to know where he sees himself in the industry and if there's a legacy he wants to leave behind I think now that I'm in my 30s and more mature I've let those like what my legacy is going to be or I'm going to be a famous designer now I just want to like live comfortably off my art and and it's a struggle as a as a small designer in New Zealand what are the struggles I was still working a part-time job up until you know a few weeks ago just because two years in still not making enough money New Zealanders are a little bit scared to wear things that are a bit different still um, do you think yeah. I mean you don't definitely don't see that at fashion week because everybody's kind of like you know dressed to impress I guess and yeah. the crazier the better but I think it's about finding the right niche and I think I've found it now and and starting to get a bit of a following. I think if I wanted to kind of leave a mark or or say anything, I think it's definitely, you know, that, that fashion can be quite different and it can be inclusive at the same time. That was designer Jason Lingard and I'm Sonia Sly, presenter and producer for My Heels Are Killing Me and this episode was engineered by William Saunders. If you've enjoyed this podcast or you know anyone who loves fashion, we'd love if you could spread the word or head to Stitcher and iTunes to subscribe if you haven't already. You'll also find a great range of podcasts on the RNZ series and podcast page, including comedy series Go Ahead Caller. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.